Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Earlier this day, uh, we were told and opened up a document that was called Andrea's Action Plan for a Thriving Hamilton. It is Andrea Horvath's platform for the mayoral campaign that everyone knows around here that she launched some time ago. Uh, This is, we are now entering the meat of the mayoral campaign and now we have a platform that we want to discuss with the candidate with andrew horvath who joins us now thank you for the time today really appreciate it my pleasure scott Uh, before we get into that and i do want to get into some of the things there i do want to ask you this there have been rumors and reports and rumblings going back i don't even know years that at some point along the way you were going to run for the mayor of Hamilton. (laughs) Is this something that you had given thought to, even as you were leading the NDP, that this is something you might do? Or was it truly just when that was done, you put your mind to this? When did that really become a thing? Well, you can't not think about these things as people encourage you to take it on. And so you're correct. It's something that people have been um, urging me to do for a very long time. But, but as you know, I had made an obligation, a commitment to the Ontario NDP to try to bring that party out of, uh, you know, out of um, um, pretty much non-existence uh, into a, a more viable party. And uh, that took a lot of work and it took a lot of time. Uh, and I don't regret any minute, any moment of it. It was, uh, it was something that um, I'm very proud of. But, but, you know, my heart has always been with the city. And, and many times when, when reporters uh, would ask me, you know, are you ever going to come back uh, as, and try to run as mayor? I would always say my heart's always with the city. That's where I get my passion from. And uh, never say never. Uh, but, um, but I really wasn't able to really put my mind to, to whether I had the energy, uh, the excitement, you know, the passion, until a little bit of healing happened after that last campaign. Let us get in. This is it's a it's a the document and people can find it at your website, Andrea Four, number four, Andrea Four Hamilton.ca if they want to find it. And I would encourage people to read through it and take a look at it for sure. Uh, let's get into some of the big issues that are facing this city. And you touch on many or most of them here. Uh, let's start with housing, because that re- that may be the biggest one of them all here. Um, you say that one of the first things you would want to do as mayor would be to increase the housing supply. That makes a ton of sense, of course. Everybody who's going to be running is going to say something to the same effect. So what would you do that would be different that would help us to increase the housing supply? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to acknowledge that the housing supply on all levels, like all the different kinds of housing uh, that uh, that exists, needs to be increased. And so whether that's the market, market housing, uh, whether that's uh, rental housing, whether that's uh, low-rent housing for people who are uh, having issues in terms of our, our capacity issues and in, in terms of affordability, all of those things need to be addressed as well as housing is for people with, uh, with disabilities, supportive housing for people who need some support to be able to stay housed, uh, women leaving uh, violent uh, homes, for example, all of these things need to be addressed. And so when, when I put together the platform, a, a number of things, uh, you know, really became clear. One is that, uh, uh, that no matter what, and no matter who I was talking to, private sector developers, public sector or, or not-for-profit sector, rather, uh, uh, housing providers, everybody's having a real hard time getting things done at the city. And that means that we can't reach the goal of building more housing if we can't get the approval process figured out. Uh, and so one of the things that I talk about is making sure uh, that we, we do address some of the problems that exist. I also uh, know that the city has opportunities to partner with Nonprofit organizations, for example, and leverage uh, public land and or land that the city is uh, uh, has an interest in. Uh, I think that there are some really great ideas out there, and we've seen some actual projects in other cities uh, around the province where uh, where innovative types of financing uh, are put together to try to expedite the process. Uh, so there's there's a lot that can be done, uh, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, all of these things are outlined uh, in uh, in the platform. Through the urban boundary discussion that was had here that I know you followed very closely um, and other debates, quite frankly, in this city over the last number of years, there have been times that developers have been criticized and demonized. And yet when we're going to say we want to increase the supply by definition, wouldn't we have to make the city even more friendly to developers to encourage them to come here and build more homes? Oh, absolutely, Scott. And that's why I've, I've been having a lot of meetings uh, with uh, with private sector developers. Why? 
because a, a huge portion of the uh, of the housing that we need is going to be provided through them. And so that's when I when I say things like there are problems at the city that prevent them from getting their projects uh, up and running. Uh, those things need to be addressed, uh, and we need to be really, um, you know, really I think focused on that. One of the things that's pretty ironic is that there are developers that are ready uh, to get the shovels in the ground and and put uh, these uh, housing units in place, uh, but they cannot get the approvals that they need. They can't get the permits done. Everything's taking far too long. In the meantime, uh, they start to what what that does is it starts to create more pressure. For the urban boundary expansion, like if we can't get the if we can't get the housing built within the current urban boundary, uh, the pressures they just building and building and building, and that then spills over to um, to a desire to then move into the greenfield sector like in in terms of uh, urban boundary expansion. I don't want to see the urban boundary expansion expansion, and I've been really clear about that. Uh, but in order to realize that goal, we got we've got to make sure that the uh, the projects that can be done within that urban boundary are actually being facilitated. One of the things you say in your platform, and again, uh, that, that people can find, I'm going to keep saying it, andrea4hamilton.ca uh, if they want to find it. One of the things you say is one way you'll help to do this is you will, quote, leverage well-established relationships at Queen's Park and in Ottawa. And I'm wondering, you're in a unique position because you spent so much time at Queen's Park. And very honestly, there was a lot of time over the last four years where you and the current government butted heads. Sometimes it got personal on both sides. And I'm wondering, do you have relationships at Queen's Park that would help? Or are you actually in a negative position because maybe some of the people there are not big fans of Andrea Horvath after the last four years? Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you raised it because one of the things that's uh, definitely the case is, yes, first of all, I do have a, a lot of great relationships, but we all have a job to do uh, at Queen's Park. We all had a job to do, and we are, uh, we're professionals in terms of the work that we do. So I, I know that uh, there were times when uh, I got under the Premier's skin, whether it's this current Premier, whether it was Premier Wynne, whether it was Premier McGuinty, uh, as the opposition uh, as an opposition leader, and then, of course, the official opposition in the last little while, that's that's the job I have to do. Yes, sometimes it got a bit overheated, uh, but, at, but at the same time, I think Mr. Ford has really clearly uh, indicated through his own comments uh, when I was um, when I made my announcement that I'm I'm running for the position of mayor, uh, he knows I'm a fighter. He knew I was a fighter for Hamilton, and that that was my job. And that my my job was to be an effective opposition leader because that's how our democracy works. And so, uh, not only Mr. Ford himself or the premier, I guess I should more uh, respectfully uh, say, um, but but also other uh, MPPs and cabinet ministers in the Ford government are people that many people that I've I've known for years, uh, having been. Uh, you know, serving with them at one point in the opposition benches. And so, uh, and, and you know, it's not only the elected people, it's also uh, the bureaucracy, it's the ministries, and uh, and who's kidding who? We have, you know, a couple of MPPs that are in the opposition benches. We now have two MPPs that are on the government side. And, uh, and I think that's healthy for Hamilton, in fact. And I'm looking forward to working with all of them um, and, and others, frankly, other people in leadership positions to move the... Uh, you know the the positive initiatives that we can uh, we can see um, that would help our city grow uh, over the finish line. I want to move into another big area in the city that is something that's been plaguing the city for a long time and vexing the city really. Uh, that is infrastructure. We have, at last I heard, a $3.2 billion infrastructure deficit. Buildings, roads, bridges that have to be repaired. We don't have the money to do it. You have said in your report that you would like to get this tackled. You would like to move forward and get a lot of these things done. I think many people would absolutely agree with you and applaud that. The question is, how do we do that? Where does the money come to do that? Because that's always been the issue. We don't have the cash. Well, that's a good point, Scott. And, and uh, certainly, I, I, I want folks to know that Hamilton is not the only municipality in Ontario facing an infrastructure deficit and an inability to be able to make the investments necessary to, to tackle in a, in a, a responsible way. Uh, and so we are in the same boat with many, many municipalities. And so part of that uh, solution needs to be uh, encouraging other orders of government for, um, you know, to, to, to provide greater support for our 10-year capital plans uh, that will help us to, uh, to address it. But, you know, the, the other thing is, 
it, it, when we when we do build infrastructure, we need to make sure, or when we replace it, uh, that we're providing that infrastructure or we're replacing that infra- infrastructure, uh, not only um, you know in the most cost-effective way, uh, but also in the way that's most reliable. Uh, I've heard horror stories. I'm sure many uh, listeners can relate to this, where uh, roadworks are done or a park is built. Uh, and the quality just isn't there. So it, it's not just a matter of, um, you know, taking the lowest bid and, and, and slapping together something to get it done. Uh, it's about making sure that that infrastructure is quality, uh, has longevity, uh, and we can be, uh, we can be, you know, confident that it's going to last a, a proper life cycle. So all of these things need, need to be part of uh, the infrastructure solution. Uh, but, but you're right. The, uh, the capital piece is, uh, it's a, juggernaut that um, that Hamilton is dealing with as are our, as are many uh, other municipalities and so it really is about prioritizing uh, and also trying to work with the other mayors uh, particularly the big city mayors to um, to try to, to try to shake some more funding loose uh, from the other orders of government would taxes have to rise to do this well you know this is a really important question especially now we all know how unaffordable life is uh, for folks and I think we just have to be very, very careful about increasing any uh, uh, any tax burden. Uh, obviously, the estimates are quite high, and there there's like a sticker shock kind of a, a price tag on on what to, might happen in terms of the tax rate. But a responsible council with a responsible mayor uh, will will prioritize the projects uh, and will make sure that that we're thinking clearly about the impact on people uh, because it's not just about money; it's about people. And some people would say, you know what, that sounds a little different from the last number of years of Andrea Horvath as an NDP leader, that it sounds a little more uh, financially controlled, perhaps. A lot of people, I mean, you know this, I'm not telling you anything that, that they said you, you the NDP was a, a party that liked to spend more and was less fiscally controlled. Uh, is it a different perspective or are they misreading how you're how you're approaching this? Uh, well, first and foremost, I think it uh, needs to be said that, in fact, the NDP has the best track record uh, across Canada. All the t- Every time that there's been an NDP government, they've been more fiscally responsible and had fewer def- deficits and smaller deficits than Liberals and Conservatives. So, yes, we get blamed, uh, the NDP gets blamed uh, for being uh, fiscally irresponsible, but it doesn't bear out in terms of the facts. Having said that, it's not about... Um, it's not about how uh, how um, much you spend, but it's how you spend it, right? If you're investing in ways that make a difference, if you're investing in infrastructure that brings more investment, for example, the LRT, if you're investing uh, in um, in changes at City Hall that uh, that that open up the processes so that we can get the housing built, that'll bring more revenue uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, of uh, property taxes. If you're investing in economic development and uh, initiatives that bring more jobs, uh, uh, create more industry, more commercial, uh, then that also changes the mix in terms of what the residential taxpayer has to pay for uh, versus uh, uh, commercial industrial, which we know uh, isn't paying enough in, in terms of, I don't mean in terms of the actual businesses, but in terms of the uh, uh, the ratio of, of uh, how much tax dollars uh, are coming in uh, from industrial commercial it used to be a lot different because of course we had tons of industry and we had mm-hmm. all kinds of revenues coming from there nothing you don't know already of course uh we got to keep moving here just because i say we we, we have limited time want to make sure we get as many things as we can a uh, transit another very big issue in the city right now it has been i mean we've been we've been talking about lrt uh for i don't know how long i, I if i never hear lrt again in my life as far as a debate i'm, I'm okay with that but um <laughs> we, we transit is a big big deal and one of the things you have said here is you would like to expand hamilton's transit routes and reach uh to include convenient transportation between uh, all of Hamilton's communities. Right now, there are a lot of places in the city that would say our transit is not very good. Would doing what you are proposing, again, not be extraordinarily expensive to add the buses to make that feasible? Well, you know what's expensive? What's expensive is when uh, when I'm up um, in, for example, Flamborough talking to Chamber of Commerce uh, uh, members there telling me what they need is a bus because they need workers. Uh, and uh, entry-level positions that some of these uh, smaller communities have in their uh, in their main streets and their small business communities, uh, they, they can't they can't get this they can't get the staff because the catchment area for labor is not there in these smaller communities. So they need to pull from further uh, a field in our city. But 
people who are working or, or, or entering the workforce at, at those uh, levels of jobs that are at, at those wages that are a little bit lower can't afford a car. They can't afford a, a car. They can't afford insurance. They can't afford gas. And so it, it's a matter of recognizing, again, that those investments uh, will make a difference in terms of supporting uh, the, um, you know, the economic activity uh, in communities where, where, they're, where people are desperate, where, where businesses are desperate uh, for workers and where workers you know, want to go to actually work and gain experience. So would you be, I don't want to put words in your mouth, are you in favor then of getting rid of area ratings so those in the suburbs and the outlying areas might pay more in their taxes than they have been right now uh, for better service? Are you a get rid of area rating person or are you not? Uh, Well, this actually is something that I think also is um, related to the earlier conversation we are having about uh, what's happening financially for people these days. So there's two things. One is, uh, I think that people are really in a in a bad spot in terms of ma- making ends meet and, and dealing with the inflationary pressures that we're all dealing with. So that's, I think, a factor that any responsible government would look at when it comes to uh, the area rating piece. But I think it's, I think it's a, a hand-in-glove issue. I think you can't ask people to pay for something that they're not receiving. So those things have to happen in tandem. We have to be providing the service so that people who are uh, are going to perhaps begin to pay a little bit more uh, see the value and are, are receiving the benefits of the service. I mean, it's an interesting position that I haven't honestly heard a lot of people voice thus far, which is that one must follow the other. So if the area rating was to be gotten rid of, would it be your position as mayor that you would push to immediately improve transit to those areas that have now had to pay a little more in taxes? I would say it has to happen in tandem. So I would say I wouldn't even be looking at the area rating change until we have a guaranteed time frame uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, at the same time as in tandem with hand, hand in glove with uh, the changing of the rates. It's um, for all of these things. I mean, when you look and I know your plan lays these out, obviously a plan has to do something in some kind of order. It can't all be side by side. It would be, you couldn't read it. What do you look at as the issue or the most important issues in this election? I mean, we've talked about a couple of them. What do you put right at the very top and say, if I become mayor, this is number one on my target list? You know, really, I do think it's housing, Scott. I think uh, p- parents are worried that their kids uh, have to leave Hamilton because they can't afford to live here. Uh, you know, everyday families are worried that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, be able to continue to pay the mortgage because the interest rates are going up so high that uh, uh, that folks are, are worried about that. Low income and moderate income families are having a hard time paying the rent. I was I was at the Metro down on uh, Barton in Ottawa and ran into a a couple who were. Uh, shopping uh, for their groceries and and they were they stopped me right away and said we don't know what we're going to do uh, we we're having a hard time paying the rent and and we're afraid that within the next couple of weeks uh, months rather we're not going to be able to make the rent and then we'll be out on our uh, out on the doorstep and and not have any housing i really do think housing is you know really what else can you what can you do in life if you don't have a stable roof over your head uh, so whether it's I mean, making sure families can afford rent, whether it's making sure young people can have a fighting chance at, at uh, living in the neighborhood they grew up in, uh, whether it's making sure that we can provide the number of units that are necessary uh, to, um, you know, to, to meet the, the growing population. And, and let me just say this one last thing. It's not just a matter of units, though. It's not just a matter of units. It's a matter of making sure uh, that we're continuing to build strong communities. Uh, you can build all the units in the world, uh, but if you don't have a good community, uh, if you don't pay attention to uh, how people live in those neighborhoods, in those units, uh, then um, then you've really not accomplished much. And, and as a city as old as ours uh, and as amazing as ours, uh, we deserve to leave that kind of a city for the next generation and the generation after that. That is Andrea Horvath. Uh, her plan came out today one more time. It is at Andrea4, number four, andrea4hamilton.ca. You can read it there. Uh, and a reminder that uh, the 26th, so two weeks from today, Keenan Loomis, also running for mayor, will be joining us to talk about his plan. The week after that, October the 3rd, Bob Bertina will be here. We'll call it Mayoral Monday. That has a, a ring to it. Maybe we'll get a little <laughs> ditty made up for it or something. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for the time today. really appreciate taking a few minutes to talk about all this. Absolutely. My pleasure, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It is Monday and, you know, it has been an interesting summer with 
covering for other shows and days off and holidays and everything else. So it, it seems as though we have not talked to Don Robertson in a long, long time, which is probably because we haven't talked to Don Robertson in a long, long time. But it is Monday and it is September. And look who's back. Don Robertson, how are you, sir? I am absolutely great. How are you, Scott? I, I am, uh, I am terrific. It's been an odd summer. It has been an odd summer, but I understand, before we get into anything, I understand that today may be a very important day in the Robertson household. Am I correct on that? Uh, <laughs> am I? That's would I be... Nice. Uh, that there's a yeah, certain anniversary uh, for Don Robertson and Mrs. Robinson, Robertson? Suze and I are celebrating our seventh anniversary, and I am standing in the pouring rain on a dock in Fort Carling, doing this under a small shelter overlooking Lake Stoke. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, pour a cheerful toast and fill it, happy anniversary, but be careful you don't spill it, happy anniversary. Gotta bring in the Flintstones when you announce an anniversary, Don, it's required. Oh, I'm such a big spender, we're back all right, there we go. That's that's enough yeah, of that. Yes, the uh, happy anniversary, Don, you and Suze. And, and look, uh, I'm not sure how healthy the relationship is if you're doing this show when you could be celebrating your anniversary. But we'll take you. We'll take it. <laughs> no, no, I'm away with a bunch of golf buddies, and uh, because of the rain, everything got rearranged. Everybody knew I was like they knew I was going to be busy between seven and eight, and everything got rearranged. And it's fine. This is important. We want consistency on Monday nights, and. Uh, so here I am. I'm inside. They're inside eating, and I'm standing out in a cabana, again in Port Carling. So I'm happy to be here, and I love doing it. So anyway, let's carry on. Excellent. Thank well, you. I, I don't Thank know if you. you heard while you were out golfing today or doing whatever you were doing that the Montreal Canadiens named a new captain, Nick Suzuki, 23-year-old kid who uh you know good player uh, unquestionably a good player i don't know that you would anyone would describe him as a superstar in the league yet maybe get it gets there uh and i don't know if you know we were not in the dressing room i don't know what he's like in the dressing room but i was a little surprised when i heard this today and i thought don uh, besides the part about whether or not it's nick suzuki if you're a team like montreal that finished last overall last year are you one of those people who believes that it doesn't matter where you are in the standings. A team needs a captain, an official captain with a C on his sweater. Or are you of the opinion that, you know what, you can wait and figure it out. And as you get better, then you name one. Where are you on the, we must have a captain argument? Well, first of all, you don't have to have a captain. And when your franchise is in the state, the Montreal Canadiens seems to be, I don't understand the rush. Uh, I cite the Edmonton Oilers, um, you know, when McDavid is clearly going to be the captain and is uh, just going to be the premier player in the league, give it to him now. But it's a lot of pressure. And for Suzuki to be in Montreal, who are rebuilding, a storied franchise too, right? Uh, One of the top National Hockey League teams that reek of history. It's a lot of pressure to put on a guy that's maybe still finding his way with a team that's probably not going to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. I would have ran, and I believe Don Cherry did it. Uh, The Boston Bruins, for a few years, didn't have a captain. They had four assistant captains. And I agree with your assessment, Scott. What you do is you let things play out the way they should. And if Suzuki should be the captain and you don't have a captain this year and you wait for two years and he emerges as a leader, then you go and run with it. But you don't have to award it to him today. It can wait. He's 23. Well, he's 23. He's again, he's, I think he's a nice player. He scored 61 points last year. He's hardly a league superstar. Maybe he's amazing in the dressing room and all the guys just love him and can't and would run through a brick wall for him. But at 61 points, I'm not sure that if Montreal received a terrific offer for him as part of a package that would help them, I'm not sure you define Nick Suzuki as an untouchable. And that's part of the other reason that I wonder why you rush into this. 
I don't know that you want to name someone captain that maybe is trade bait down there. I don't think they're dangling him. But this is not the same as Austin Matthews, where some team would call up the Leafs and say, we want Matthews, and you laugh at them. If someone calls up and says, we'd like Suzuki as part of a deal, and we're willing to give you, let's say, um, uh, what's his name? in? Uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. In Edmonton, not uh, not McDavid. Um, Dreisaitl. Um, Dreisaitl. All right. Dreisaitl is now part of, we got Edmonton's got to move a little money, and it's not working, and we can get a bunch back, but we're willing to trade Dreisaitl, and we'd like Suzuki. Are you are you going to turn to the Oilers and say I'm sorry? Nick Suzuki is our one untouchable. I wouldn't think so. I I just I just don't understand what the what the rush is here. Did they did they provide any rationale? Because the local media are already going. It doesn't speak French. Well, that's another issue. Like if you're if you're going to give the guy a young guy a 23 year old the project of being the captain of the Montreal Canadiens. Hopefully they gave him a six month heads up so he can say come us va. I mean you gotta say something. And if he doesn't like, speak French yet, and that's fine. I mean it look it, most guys in the league don't speak French. If he doesn't and you are captain of the of the Canadians, I do think that it is incumbent upon you that you start taking French lessons, which just adds more to what is gonna be on your plate while you're trying to become a great NHL player. If you're going to be the captain of the Montreal Canadiens and they don't give you a heads up to be able to let you know you're going to have to speak French, you have huge problems ahead of you. And you're right. Who needs that aggravation to say, okay, what a childhood dream. I'm captain of the Montreal Canadiens. Well, yeah, next week i got to learn how to be fluent in French. And by the way, I'm 23 and I still have to be a great player or they're going to boo me off the ice. And we're not that good to start with. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, I think Figure they've that. made some improvements. Well, I, I think they've made some improvements in their lineup, but they also don't have Carey Price now for this season, it looks like, and maybe forever again. And I don't care how good your improvements are, that's offset by not having the guy that single-handedly carried you to the finals a few years ago. There's a reason they finished last last year, and it's not just their roster was poor, it's that Carey Price wasn't there. And uh, my, my biggest thing, Don, though, isn't even the specifics around this team. It's more the concept of if you are a hockey team, period, do you need to have, I know officially, technically by the rules you don't, but in the room, as, as you're a manager, you're a coach and you're a manager, do you need, do you feel you need to have somebody wearing the C? I, I would say if you're a contender for the cup and there's a chance you could raise the trophy, I would say yes. But in this case, do you need to have a, a guy wearing the C? No, I don't think so, Scott. And I don't even think you need a captain if you're a contender to win the cup because the guys that are going to lead when it comes down to um, crunch time, uh, hearkening back to when the Leafs weren't that bad and were competitive, everybody knew Gary Roberts was a real leader. You know what I mean? So, you you know, um, you don't have to be a captain. Gil, or uh, Wendell Clark come back, wasn't a captain of the Leafs. So to support what your comments are, I don't think you need a good leader because the good leaders in the dressing room will emerge on their own. They'll come up when the time's right. The true leaders will step up, say the right thing, and guide you in the right course. So do you need it? No. Symbolically? Oh, sure. Is it good Suzuki wants to be captain? Sure. Is he going to lead the team? Who knows? Well, that's, I mean, look, one of the alternate captains, I almost said assistant captains, which is not actually correct. One of the alternate captains is Brendan Gallagher. And I would have thought that was the guy, if anybody, with the time he's been there. Now, maybe that means they don't expect him to be around very long, so we're not going to put the C on him and then have to do it again soon. Maybe we're planning long range. But, you know, we've heard of other teams where the guy who was wearing the C wasn't the real captain. Where somebody else in the dressing room was the guy, I, you know, I mean, the Oilers back in the day, now this was tricky because, I mean, how do you argue against Gretzky being the captain? But you had Messier behind him, who you could have had two guys wearing a C and each would have been totally fine. I I, I just, I, I just don't know that, I mean, I know we make a big deal of the C and I know that it matters, especially in a hockey city. And I know that it probably means you can sell a whole bunch more sweaters, but I just don't know that it's that big a deal that you want to rush somebody into it. 
here's what I, here's what I'm surprised at. I, I would have to guess we're getting short on time, but here's what I'm surprised at is if you're going to rush a captain in for the Montreal Canadiens, he's not French Canadian. Like if if you're, if you're going to do that, rush in um, Guy Lafleur or Gilbert Perrault and. Let me tell everybody how old I am again through an old French player, Marcel Dion. But rush in a French player, and I know genius, but I don't think Suzuki's French. No, he well, he he's not, and he may, as I say, he may be learning, and uh, that's something that you know again that they've put on him. But I, as I say, it's not even it's not even to me about this particular one. It's any team. Do you need to put a C on somebody? Uh, I, I'm so. You made a reference for Edmonton. Here would be my assessment of the Edmonton Oilers in their heyday. And Wayne Gretzky being the captain. The Wayne Gretzky was the player that said, look, I just hold my beer and watch this. And he'd go out and do it. And Messier would walk around the room and look at you and me or anybody else in the room and say, if you don't do this, I'm going to rip your head off. Because if you don't do this, we can't win. So Gretzky's like, you know, just watch me. Hold my beer, watch this. Messi is walking around the room saying, here's what everybody else is doing. If you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. And they win. So there's all, yeah. there's all kinds of leadership, right? Different styles, for sure. But, but even, okay, but that, those years, let's say for a second that Edmonton, that the management then that Glenn Sather had not put, because he says, I can't decide between Messier and Gretzky. You know, they're both such, you know, they're both guys that could do it. I'm not going to put a C on anyone. Would the Oilers have been any less of a team if you did not have somebody wearing a captain? Or, and I don't even mean less of a team as impressive. I mean, do you think it truly would have had any impact whatsoever to the lineup, the results, the dressing room, if neither one of them had a C on? Absolutely none. Absolutely no impact on the championships they won. The only thing that, that, that would have changed is the number of 99 sweaters sold with a C on them, and that's when the business part of hockey started. Gretzky sells more sweaters than Messier. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the, if that was why then, but I do believe that certainly as we move forward that that's got to be a factor in it now of who can we who can we get to who how do we move more sweaters and. You know, maybe this, maybe this is it. Maybe we'll see a lot more Nick Suzuki sweaters with a C. I, I don't know if I, if I had just paid Don last year, 250 bucks or whatever for a Canadian sweater, I'm not buying a new one. I'm going to a, some supply store and you can find one and getting a C and sewing it on myself for five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> However, maybe, maybe different people look at it differently. Don, here's a, here's one for you that, um. I don't know that this, well, let me, let me get into it here. Albert Pujols. Most people who watch understand who Albert Pujols is. Baseball player, St. Louis Cardinals, one of the greatest hitters of all time. He has 697 home runs right now. This is his final season. So he's got about two weeks left of baseball. Needs three home runs to hit 700. And I think a lot of people would love to see him hit 700. He's respected. He's highly regarded. Never had scandal. He's a guy people like. So here's my question. There are, he is going to play against the Reds, the Padres, the Dodgers, the Pirates, and the Brewers the rest of the way. The Dodgers, the Padres, they're battling for their division lead. They're not going to go easy on them. The Brewers are in the mix. They've got to go hard. But if you are a member, a pitcher on the Reds or the Pirates, you are miles out of contention. The Cardinals are way out in front in your division, so they're going to win. So it doesn't really matter. Do you throw them a few meatballs to try and help them get to that mark? For sure. I would. I mean, if I, if I could line it up, you know, I pitched a lot of fastball games, so I wasn't quite in the same mode. But you know what? If you can line it up that you're the guy that can throw the 700, I would throw him a T-ball hit so that he could hit it out of the park. See, I'm not sure that the same was felt when Barry Bonds, for example, was going for the record. I don't think you wanted to be the pitcher that gave that one up because Barry Bonds was not a cuddly, lovable figure. But no, I, I, I kind of yeah. lean your way here, that if you were the pitcher who gave this one up, it wouldn't necessarily be seen in the same negative way. Well, you know what you do, Scott? I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the U.S. is a big place. 
Doesn't that help when you're a pitcher and retired at the card shows? I gave up the 700th home run. I forget what goal Donnie Edwards, who won an Allen Cup in uh, 87 with the Brantford Montscomados, he gave up a significant goal to Gretzky. And I said, does that annoy you? And he went, well, it did then, but now everybody remembers. So there's always milestones you may as well jump in on and grab a piece of if you can. And one of those teams should let you and I pitch. Let them hit 700. See, I think it's good for baseball. I really do. I think that you 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 have this situation where it's not going to come. I mean, he's already fourth all-time in home runs. And I, I think you want a guy like Albert Pujols, who has, as I say, no scandal, no bad feelings. Nobody hates Albert Pujols. I think you want a guy like him to have a moment like that late in the season going into the playoffs. If you're baseball, this would be great for you. Is anybody Maddie past A-Rod? Uh, no, no. I don't think anyone would say, oh, man, that's that's such a shame that A-Rod lost his right? spot. I don't think so at all. Right? Like, so he's the right guy. I'm telling you, you and I throw him some batting practice and let him pound about four out. He's not catching anybody else. Right? He can't catch anybody, but he could get no. 700. He's not going to get to Bonds. He's not going to get to Aaron. He's not going to get to Ruth. But he could be the guy, the fourth guy to hit 700. And, you know, it's just, it's it's a question of, are you capable as a professional athlete, knowing how you're wired, are you capable of saying, I'm just going to throw something up in the strike zone, a straight fastball? Not every pitch. I mean, we're not going to make it obvious, but I'm going to make sure that every at-bat he has one or two to take a hack at. And I don't, and you and I don't know this, but the teams that are out of it are probably going to have some guys up that they've called up to pitch. That too, that too. And and if it's me or you, and this is our third start in the majors, and I get to let him hit the 700th off me, I only might get another five games in the majors. I might get another 400. But if I'm only getting two more, I'm going to be famous. Like, it's kind of an odd uh, question to ask, but that's an oddball answer. But you know what? You might be famous, and they're going, so, Radley, how many games you pitch in the major leagues? I pitched six. Pujols hit the 700th off me. How am I doing? Right? At card shows, you make a lot of money. Well, go back to, we were talking about Wayne Gretzky last segment. Go back to Gretzky in the very last game he played. I don't know if you remember this. He was playing for the Rangers, played against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was, by this point, a little beat up, and he was a bit of a shell of himself. There was, I don't think there was a single player on the Pittsburgh Penguins that would have minded if Gretzky had scored a goal that game. I'm not saying they, I'm not saying they cleared the net and pulled the goalie with half the game left. They didn't make it obvious, but I don't think that there, anybody would have gone, oh, crap, Gretzky scored on us. It would have been fine yeah. because you recognize the moment and the situation and the circumstance and what this athlete has meant. Well, yeah, and we're going to go through 10 days of pomp and pageantry. May as well have some of the baseball, too. So it's, it's a good time to have nice things happen. So yeah, if he can do it, that'd be, that, I mean, I, I think they'll serve it up. I would, you know I'm what I would be very some guy, but I'd serve it up. What I will be very shocked to see sometime over the next two weeks. Now, again, the Dodgers and the Padres very much in a battle. So I don't think they're going to be doing this when they play him because they got to win, but everyone else, I'll be shocked in the other games. If Pujols is coming up and a pitcher has been in for a while and a pitcher has run into some trouble. I'll be shocked if a manager makes a pitching change to bring in a new guy to face Pujols. That would be what would, that would be the first hint. I think that they are trying to within the confines of competition, allow him to have a crack at this one, because normally you would say the the pitcher's in trouble. We're going to take him out and bring in a new guy. If you see them leave him for one more batter and that batter is Pujols, that's what's going on. Yeah, well, uh, to cite your examples, and they're good ones, of course, as always. Um, if there's, if they're in a race and it's competitive, 
But if it's 9-1, that too. or the game's already been decided, don't count that not happening. Like, you know, guys are going, hey, this will be a lot of fun, citing your example, Pittsburgh, I'm, you and I are on the ice going, I wouldn't mind being on the ice when Gretzky scores his last goal. Great story 20 years later. So, you know, th- there might be more opportunities than just the teams that are out of it, I'm saying. If there's a blowout game and they throw them in, who knows? That's it's true. Nice way no, you're right. You're right. Okay, let me ask you it's one nice more thing on this one. All. Let me ask you one more thing on this one. So, the for the longest time, the most highly regard I think the most highly regarded record in all of sports was Roger Maris's 61 home runs. I I think that there was probably not another record. Maybe the fastest man in the 100 meters, maybe. But in North American sports, I would say 61 homers was the mark that you wanted to beat. Well, that's been blown away now, but all the guys who have blown it away have either been accused or rumored to be involved with stuff that helped them. So you've got Aaron Judge now, who there's no rumors about him. He's just a big, giant guy playing for the Yankees, who has 55 homers, has a shot at beating Maris, and for a lot of people, being the first legitimate guy to beat the record. Do you think there's more interest in him trying to beat 61 or Pujols getting to 700? I think Pujols getting to 700 because I think people think Judge can do it again. But it's New York, right? So we don't live in New York. But the U.S. love their love their superstars. I don't know. And you know what? And I, 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 I try to be pretty optimistic, Scott, the way I live my life. But Aaron Judge is uh, um, free of any controversy, steroids, or anything else. Is it 2022? And the guys that help these guys are just that much better at it. I don't want to, you know, rain on his parade or be Wendy the whiner, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's a great story, but is it going to change in five years? Who knows? I mean, he is a great big galoot. I mean, the guy can hit it from. Oh yeah. The uh, turtle jacks I'm standing on their patio to Dundas, but who knows? Like it. Oh, that stuff changes. But I, I hear your story. I think 700's bigger than 61. And the other thing as we go to a break here is, you know, we've just spent the last number of minutes talking about would somebody serve one up to Pujols? The same question could be asked about Judge. If he, if he gets to 60 or 61, what, does someone serve up a meatball to him if you're out of, competi- out of contention or if the game is out of line? Do you do that? And, and you know what? Maybe the same thing. May may well be the same thing. Somebody may decide, you know, this for the same reason you just said. Guys had an amazing season. I can go down in history. This game isn't in doubt. Let her rip. We'll see. Several days ago, maybe even a little longer than that, the commissioner of the WNBA, Women's National Basketball Association, came out and said that there is going to be a preseason game in Canada prior to next year. Now, there is no WNBA team in Canada, there's no, that I know of, there's no professional women's soccer league team in Canada. There have been professional women's hockey leagues that have been met with, I don't think you could say that any of them have been extraordinarily successful. Some have been far less than that. Bringing Don Robertson back into the conversation, Don, this is a really tough one because a lot of people are saying, look, if if the WNBA game, the exhibition game they hold in Toronto before the next season sells well, this is going to be proof that we should bring a team here and this is going to be a wild success for all. Do you agree with that? Do you think that the WNBA or the women's soccer or some other women's hockey, do you think it's a guaranteed winner or are there questions still in your mind about whether it could financially succeed? Oh boy, the business plan for a pro pro team in Ontario is far more complex than just running a game. I think we had a really successful at Tim Hortons Field the women's soccer games and uh, the attendance in Edmonton and everywhere else. Nobody said based on that, you know what? Pro soccer will work in Hamilton and, and Edmonton because it won't. So 
they can do it and they can paper the house, which for those that aren't familiar with pro sports and any sport, give away free tickets. That's not a good barometer. What they need to do is have a base. I'm sure they'd like to look into the lucrative Toronto market, but I can't see a one-off saying, boy, the WNBA. Like MLSC have a lot of stuff going on. They, you know, um, they got the soccer club, Toronto FC. They got the Argos that aren't exactly filling BMO Field. You know, they, they've got some great properties, but they can't continue to support uh, poor properties because they're doing well with great properties with Raptors and Leafs. So that's a long answer, but I don't see that working. I don't see that making any sense I, I, at all. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you're right about like it was, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, they had that women's national soccer team game before the Women's World Cup. And it was jammed and it was great. It was a fantastic event. One thing Hamilton and Toronto, frankly, and other places, Edmonton is great for this. They are great event cities. If you have an event, it'll sell. But you don't always, you can't always extrapolate that and say, because we sold, as you say, this one game, that means that everybody will come to all the games. We saw that, you know, if you had a, we had a men's soccer game here for our World Cup qualifier. We, we don't see that same crowd, the full house crowd. We don't see the same crowd showing up for Forge FC. It's not the same no. thing as an event. And so, I, you know, if you, if you could put a team in Toronto and you could put Kia Nurse, if you could guarantee that Kia Nurse was on that team and a couple other Canadians and some big stars in the women's sports world, I bet you could maybe get 10,000 a game, maybe. But if you don't have all those ingredients, I don't know how you do. I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't want to poo-poo the idea. I don't think it's totally impossible. I just, I'm not sure that I'm of the opinion that it's something that what some people are saying, well, it's just, you just got to put it here and it works guaranteed. I'm not sure I'm there. Well, I, I agree. And sometimes what these sports don't want to do is take small steps. Like maybe the WNBA, because they want to go into NBA centers because it gives you uh, credibility. You're in the big show. You're in the big building. Infrastructure too. You've got all the staff from the NBA team there to do your selling and everything. I know, but the truth is, wouldn't, like if the WNBA were going to start off in Toronto or, uh, professional women's hockey league wouldn't they be better off at the rico center right like i mean it, going to a yes. building going to a building that you can really accommodate and make it look like there's some pop because nothing happens without people so if you can go into the rico center and make it happen and then have a few special events at scotia bank to me, that's marketing. But if you put it in a venue, hoping you'll draw 18,000, knowing you're going to draw six, you look like a failure to start with. There's and one I other thing. Don, there's one other thing that's at play here, and I, you know, we, we got to run. I wish we had a lot more time. I should have brought this up earlier, quite frankly. But you, you also, it's a difficult situation because if you do bring a team here, and if that team does not sell as well as, say, the Raptors... There will be those who say, look, this is evidence of sexism. And my argument to that would be, no, this is the market making a decision about what they want to buy tickets for or not. But you you are going to have to deal with other things that you wouldn't necessarily deal with in other leagues. It is a... It is a more complex situation because of some of the politics that would surround it as well. Well, you would certainly never get any accolades for taking the chance to bring it here that would equal the chance or the, uh, the dismay if you took it away. I think that's a different way of saying what you're mm-hmm. saying. Like, good for them to bring it, but if nobody wants it, what are you going to do? You can't make people buy tickets, and you can't give tickets away to make it work. You know what you could Crazy. do? You know what you could do, Don? Many years ago when Hamilton, well, the few times that Hamilton was supposed to be getting an NHL team, they asked people to put down 
money on season tickets. Maybe you do that. Maybe you say, look, we're thinking about this. We need you to put down money on season tickets and let's see if there's an audience. And not just, I think that the Hamilton one, quite frankly, when they did that the last time was a farce when they said, come in and put down whatever it was, a hundred bucks on a season ticket, fully refundable. That was a farce. Everybody, everybody put down a hundred bucks. There were thousands because even if you decided then, well, I don't want to do this, you get your money back and there's no skin in the game. What you got to do anytime you do this, whether it's men's or women's is say, you're putting down $5,000 per ticket for a season ticket or whatever it is, non-refundable. If we get a team, you are locked in. And then we'll see. And I thought they should have done that in Hamilton. And I bet you we wouldn't have had the, whatever it was, 28,000 people on a list. We would have had 6,000 or 7,000 or 8,000, which would have still been impressive. But I, the one thing you can do to find out if this would work is to put down a locked-in, committed season ticket drive and see. And you know what? Maybe you and I are both wrong. Maybe there are 12,000 people that are willing to put down season tickets tomorrow for WNBA. In which case, why do we not have it already? Let's get it. Wow, Scott, look, the odds of you and I both being wrong are zero. Or very. <laughs> One of us. Not both of us. Come on. That's true. I've, Don Don has not been wrong in a long, long time, and especially on his anniversary, I'm never going to call him out for being wrong. I, I mean, he married Sue. Nope. That was a, the wisest move he ever made. Uh, congratulations, Don. we got to run. Congratulations on that one. Have a, have a, I know you're not there, but have a great anniversary, and, and I think Sue's is probably listening because she often does. So, Sue's happy anniversary nope, to you as well. Scott, i got to tell you, get myself out of the glue. She's sitting inside the restaurant looking at me in the rain like I'm an idiot. She's here. I can't oh. bail out on that. Oh, okay. I thought I, so I misunderstood. Was, I thought you had left her at home for your anniversary to go with the boys, in which case no, this would have been the last anniversary it. you had, but maybe we'll make it a good one. I'm an idiot, but I'm not that big enough. <laughs> She's inside thinking I'm nuts in this cabana pouring rain in Muskoka. I love the show. Thanks. Don, appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the rest of your anniversary. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.